can make their way over to Asbury Church Kids. Uh, Jonathan and Stephanie are helping us again this morning, and so thank you to them. Uh, for everybody else who's sticking around, if you want to take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to continue our series on better than uh, good. So how many of you are category type people? You put things in categories. You, you have, you know, well, let me explain categories. I think everybody does this. Everybody, as you go through life and you go through experiences, you, you, you begin to create categories in your life. So how many of you in your life have a category of good people? Like what makes a good person? And for some of you, you hear good people and you think about some of the good people in your life. Some of you in that category, it's defined by people that are friendly. Maybe they smile a lot. Maybe that when you're in their presence, they, they encourage you and make you feel good. And you go, you know what? That's my category for good person. How many got one of them? How many got a category of good persons? Okay, good. How many have a category of useful hacks in your life? Like, you know, like the things that make life a little easier. So I remember a number of years ago when I was working construction, I had the wonderful privilege to put sheetrock on the underside of a roof on, for a certain uh, place in the midst of rafters. And uh, my company thought it would be great that I would do it myself. And so I had to climb up into the rafters, and I had to, like, put sheetrock on the underside. And, oh, it was, it was just painful. And I just remember, my biggest challenge was I only had two hands, right? Because you're like going, oh my goodness, because you're, you're trying to hold something up, and then you're trying to get your screw gun or whatever, and so you're like, you're like doing, you know, contorting what you can to hold something on a ceiling to, to, to screw the, the sheetrock off. And so, man, I just remember what a pain that was. And then I met a guy a couple of years later, and he was an old school carpenter. And he would come in, he would renovate different things, and he always did all this work where he would drywall ceilings by himself, and he would just take these little cleats, and he had this whole method set up so he could hang sheetrock by himself. And I watched him, and I go, oh my goodness, all these useful hacks. And, and so, you know, whether it's a bracing bar, but these little blocks, you put a screw in it, you just twist. I was like, oh my goodness, it's like an extra set of hands or seven, it was beautiful. But, but we all have categories that are like, going, you know what, if you do this, it makes life easier. How many got a box that you've got some ideas that make life easier? You watch people do other things, you're like, oh my goodness, it's like you're doing it too hard, you could do it easier, all right? We, we, have, we have categories in our lives that we say, you know what, there's some things in our lives we say, you know what, I'm going to save this for later. I'm gonna gotta save it for later category. Some of you, that's your like garage. Uh, you know, you're just like going, hey, you know, I'm just going to save this for... Some of you, you're like, you got like bolts and you've got like cables and you got odds and ends. You're like going, you know, people are like, why don't you get rid of it? And you're like going, because I may need it. And so I'll save it for later. And so you've got a category in your life for saving it for later. Okay. How many have the category not doing that again category? Okay. So I got, I, got, I got one of these, and there's a, there's a number of things in it. So like one of them that, that's in my not going to do this again category is when my brother, when we were young, he bet me a dollar that I couldn't hold on to an electric fence for a minute. And I said, because how many know you're young and dumb? 
I mean, had young and dumb days, right? And, and so I was like, who can hold it for a minute? And I was like going, you know what? I am smarter than electricity. And this was my thought. My thought was, if I grab with both hands, then what will happen is the current will just flow through me and I won't feel a thing. And so I remember as this kid standing in this field, grabbing the wire boldly with both hands and forgetting that my feet are on the ground. And so instead of current going, yeah, dude, it lit me up so bad. I didn't even get a second, let alone a minute. My brother laughed a whole lot, and I never got my dollar. It was, but I put in my category, not doing this again. Right? So, so we all have the, these categories in our lives. We go through experiences. We, 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 we experience some fun things. We experience some difficult things. And in our lives, we begin to create these categories that say, you know what? This is how I'm going to understand. This is going to influence how I interact with my reality, with my world. I've got a category. And one of the categories that I want to address this morning is the category that we have of death. See, this is the thing. We go through life, and how many know as we go through life, part of living involves dealing with death. Untimely, unexpected, people who are close, people who are far. But we deal with this thing regarding death, and oh my goodness, does it affect us. It affects us. Sometimes, you know, it can, and it happens in so many different ways. Sometimes we can have, like, a car that dies. Anybody had a car that dies, and all of a sudden, the car worked, and now the car is like, you can't do this anymore. How many know when you lose a vehicle, that makes life a little more difficult? Right, so we, our category of death can have these little sub-compartments like vehicles or, or refrigerators or appliance. We can have things like pets. You know, I, you, in dealing with death, how many have had a pet die and it's just like miserable? Right? It's just like going that the house isn't the same, the, the, the critter's not running around. And, and, and so it's, it's this category. And then we deal with people. We deal with people. And, and, and part of this life, we, we go through, and, and, and death is, is so final. As a pastor, I've, I've sat with families at, at, in the midst of tragedy. I, I've sat with families as it's been, it's been anticipated that we, people know it's coming, but it's still, there's that moment. And all of a sudden, the category just begins to make itself manifest. And it impacts our hearts and our lives. We live with loss. And we deal with grief. Well, this morning, as, as we talk about our, our 50 days of better than good, I, I want to take a few moments to think about this category. Now, I know it's not a fun category to think of because the moment you start talking about it, all of a sudden, the emotion of that category sometimes starts bubbling up. Sometimes you're like, I'd just rather not think about it, not deal with it. But how many know we don't get an option in our world whether we deal with death or not? It's a part of our, our, our existence. 
But the good news is this, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks not just to us, but it speaks to this category called death. And so as we look at, 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 at continue our series, I want to talk about undoing death. Because this is what the gospel has come to do. Now, as, as, as we go through this, this, this is my prayer, is that we would allow the gospel of Jesus to begin to reshape our categories, even the category of death. You see, the gospel has the power to, to begin to change. And, and yeah, I understand it is hard, it is difficult, but as we're going to see in the text that we look at today, that there is one who is still greater than death. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And, and, and Luke is writing because, man, as, as a person who's an outsider, he found the gospel of Jesus Christ to be something that transformed him. And it was the message that had the power to transform everyone. It was a message that brought hope to outsiders and to unlikely people in the midst of difficult times. And so we're going to begin at verse 11 where it says this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now, as we go through the story, what I want to invite you to do is to, to imagine it, right? I, I want you to, to imagine just the scene that's taking place. Jesus is moving from one town to the next. He's got his disciples with them, and there is a crowd that is following him. You see, wherever Jesus went, that lives were being touched and changed, and there was this sense of energy and excitement. There was an expectation and an anticipation. Oh my goodness, what's he going to do in the next place? And you could just imagine, just kind of like the noise, the vibe, the, the, the feeling, the emotion of the crowd that's moving with Jesus. goes on to say that as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. And it was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So this is a story about two crowds. One crowd is moving, there's, there's anticipation, yet there's this other crowd that is moving, and, 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 and there's a procession that's going along, and at the head of the procession is a lifeless body. The body of a, a boy, a man, a young man. And they're walking with is his mother, who's a widow. Just imagine the differences of the crowd. One's excitement, one is sorrow and mourning. And, and in the Middle East, when, when, when mourning is done, so in our culture, when we deal with death and dying, there's often a quietness. There's just a, there there's, there's, can be um, a heaviness and a quietness. Like even as I began to turn the conversation to talk about categories, we're saying, hey, anybody got categories like not doing this again? Everyone's like, ah, and there's this energy. And all of a sudden I said, I want to talk about the category of death. And all of a sudden it goes, woof. Right? Because when we deal with death, we get quiet. In Middle Eastern culture, when they deal with death, they get loud. 
There's mourning, there's wailing. And it's not just an individual, but it's the community that walks with, because how many know death doesn't just affect individuals, it affects communities. And so there's this great noise, and so you have these two crowds that are moving toward one another. And it's this, first, this second crowd I want to just think about for a moment, because as we see in this, in this picture, in this, in this moment, that death has a way of intruding into our story. Death has a way of, of, of intruding into our story. An unwelcome guest, a thief which steals hope, dreams, time, and loves. It's in the presence of death. Among, again, I, I've sat in, in the scenes with, with, with death and funerals, and, and, and there's often this sense that, you know what? We recognize it's in, inevitable, yet it reminds us that there's something wrong. If we read the Bible, we find out that death's first appearance shows up in the Garden of Eden where God had, had created this beautiful world and said, you know, it's, you are free to eat from everything. You, you have the opportunity to enjoy and become in the fullness of what I have created for you. But in order for humanity to live rightly with God, to, to love Him, to relate, be mandated to do everything, because how many know forced love isn't love? Just like forced generosity is not generosity. How many think that paying taxes makes you generous? Yeah, none of us do, right? Right? Forced, forced generosity doesn't make you generous. In the same way, forced love doesn't make it love. And so God in His garden said, you are free. Let me show you the bounty and the fullness that I have prepared for you, a purpose for you, a life for you that you might become and serve something that's higher and greater than, than what you can imagine. Yet God says, but I want you to love me. I want you to serve me of your choice rather than out of obligation. So all of this is yours to enjoy. Just stay away from this one tree. Because if you eat that tree, what it'll do is it'll create separation. It will release the power of death into the beautiful world that I have made for you. We find in the very next scene that the first humans, Adam and Eve, at the tree, and the serpent saying, the reason that God has told you not to eat this is because if you eat this, you will be like him, and he doesn't want the competition. And they said to themselves, you know, this fruit looks beautiful, it looks good, it looks tasty. And not only that, who wouldn't like to live better or live like God? And so instead of enjoying the bounty of all that God had made, they said to themselves, we know better how to get the fullness of what God has for us. And in so doing, the first sin was committed, and in so doing, death was set in motion. And God speaks to humanity afterwards, and there's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of ideas in this that are just amazing, but as he speaks to them in the midst of this, what he does is he speaks the curse. Now, the curse is the consequence 
of choosing against God. And what he ends up saying is this in, in, in the curse to Adam or, or what it is, Adam, that you have set in motion. He says, I have formed you from the dust of the earth. From dust you are. Now to dust you will return. And it's this powerful image because what God does at the beginning is he takes the dust of the earth, he forms it and fashions it and breathes into it his own breath, his own life, his own spirit, so that, so that Adam became a living being. Yet in rejecting God, instead of allowing the life of God to permeate, motivate, and influence through sin, death became uh, the power by which life was ruled. And in so doing, the consequence was he began from dust, and because of sin, death entered, and he would return to dust. And this is what the power of death does, is it fragments, and it undoes the beauty and the good that God has made. Now, as death takes place, it's interesting the things that we begin to wrestle with. We begin to wrestle with the darkness. There's a heaviness that comes with death and uncertainty. With death can come the sense of loneliness, the sense of separation or isolation. There can be an emptiness because something significant is missing. A sense of helplessness because there's an inability to undo what has happened. And as a result, we bear the wounds that pierce the soul. See, part of the challenge is, is we live in a world that, where death is just part of this category that we, that we deal with. It, it is an intruder, and it has intruded into our story. Yet as we continue to see in this text, two crowds moving together, we come to find out that even though so much of life is influenced by death, that Jesus is not indifferent to our sorrow or our situation. I love verse 13 because it says this, When the Lord saw her, like when Jesus saw this woman, it says his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Now, that idea of his heart going out to her, in, in some translations will say he was moved with compassion. And, and the word that's used there is a word that, that speaks to that, 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 that moving of the heart. Have you ever had those moments where you see something and it grips your heart and it feels like something inside gets kind of twisted? That's the idea. But it's not just simply that, that emotional, that, 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 that feeling of knotted up that takes place, but that, that feeling begins to motivate action. And so as Jesus sees all this crowd, it says that he is moved with compassion. More than just his heart going out to her, he recognizes that he needs to act in response 
to the deep inner stirring that he's feeling as he observes what's going on. And I love this. He, he, Jesus is not indifferent to the sorrow or to the situation. He sees and he moves. And, and this really is the story of the gospel, that God cares about humanity and her suffering. That God sees what goes on and He moves to act to meet us. He's not content just to go, oh man, I feel terrible for them. His feeling of this is terrible moves Him in our direction. And so when we couldn't get to God on our own, it says that God became flesh to make His dwelling among us. And He says to her, Don't cry. Now, I think this is an interesting statement. How many of you grew up where crying wasn't allowed? Don't cry. It's more like a, a, a command. Like, I remember, I remember as a kid hearing my dad say, which I always thought was funny, when you were crying, he'd be like, do you want me to give you something to cry about? How many remember that one? Good classic line. I'm a child of the 80s, right? Right? And uh, I, think, I think, you want some? I'll give you something to cry about. And the implicit statement was, don't cry. Stop crying. And, and I know some people, when it, when it comes to tragedy, sorrow, there's that part that says, you know what? I can't cry. Because crying is, is a sign of weakness. And, and I want you to know, when Jesus is saying, don't cry, he is not, he is not actually making a commentary on... The appropriateness of crying in the midst of sorrow. I want you to know Jesus doesn't minimize tears that are shed. Um, and, and nor is he saying that it is an inappropriate response to loss. We actually see Jesus in John chapter 11 that Jesus, when he, he gets to the tomb of Lazarus, do you know what it says that Jesus did? It was, it's, it was the, short, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's one of the first ones I memorized because it was so easy because you get bonus points in Sunday school for quoting a Bible verse. And I could just simply say, Jesus wept. And that means he cried. I want you to know that death is, death is painful. It is, it is awful. And it moves our hearts. And, and, and we have a physiological response to it where sometimes tears begin to flow. And there is nothing wrong with that. So why is Jesus saying, don't cry? What he's actually doing is rather than commenting on tears, what he is saying to the lady is this. Don't despair. I am here, and the story is not done yet. Don't despair. It's the message that he speaks to people in the midst of great loss and tragedy, where he says, you know what, don't despair. I'm here, and the story's not done yet. If there was anyone who had a reason to despair, it was this woman. Because not only, has, not only is she a widow, which is terrible. I can't, I can't imagine. That's the, that's the area in my life that I try to avoid and think without, right? 
I remember when we first got married, Rachel would say things like, Dave, when you die, I'm moving south. <laughs> Dave, when you die, I'm getting a cat. And I was concerned, because I was like, you're making lots of plans for when I die. Should I know something, right? Um, but but, but th th there's this idea of the loss of a spouse. And I know there are some in this room, you've been through it, and it is not an easy thing. It is, it, it is just, it's like... Who am I? Right? Like, because like, we've been together. It's how we define life. What is life supposed to be? What does it look like? And so you can just imagine, like, here's a widow. Just how heavy and awful that is. But then on top of that, her son dies. How many know that as, as, um, as parents, we should go before our kids? Parents should never have to bury their kid. Amen? Like, like, that's, dude, like, that, that's, <laughs> that's the other part. You, like, just don't want to dwell on that one because that's just, like, that's a terrible place to get to. And in Jesus' day, for a woman to be without a husband and without a son wasn't just the loss of relationship. It was a loss of support. See, they, they didn't have things like we have today where, you know, Social Security and benefits that come in that kind of help supplement our living when we can't, when, when we lose loved ones and we're alone. Um, your social security plan was your children. Like when you got old and, and, and you needed a place to live, when you stopped working, you'd, you'd move in with your kids. Pastor Dwayne's trying to remind his kids, don't forget, this is your job. I tell my kids, I'm like, hey, what, what, what are you bringing to the table, right? You know, um, but, but there's, there's this aspect that this woman is without support. See, it's not just that she's lost these amazing people in her life. The question now is, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to care enough to protect and to provide? Who's going to be the one that will look after me? And it's into that space that Jesus speaks these words. Don't cry. This is the reason I have come. You see, Jesus is not indifferent to our sorrow or our situation. It is to those who, who wrestle. I love what Jesus says to Martha in John chapter 11, where he says, Mar Martha, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, Jesus says, he, he invites us, even in the midst of all that's going on, to put our hope, our faith, our trust in him, because in him is found a life that is greater than even death. Whether it's our own or loved ones around us. And he invites us to put our hope and our trust in him. When Jesus says, don't cry, there's actually echoes that are going back to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to bind up the brokenhearted. And when you read in Isaiah chapter 61 where it goes down a little further, it says, I will give you beauty for ashes. I will give you joy for mourning. That Jesus interrupts this parade to say, I want you to know that I'm here for you. You see, the message of the gospel is that one greater than death has come. He is not indifferent to our sorrow or our situation, but He comes to meet us to change and transform our lives. You see, it is Jesus who has the ability to undo death. I love this next part because this is what it says in verse 14. Then He went up and touched the bier they were carrying Him on, and the bearers stood still. And He said, young man... I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. How do you know that God has come to help his people? That he actually steps into our stuff to help us as we process through the category of death. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, I love this because what Jesus does is He acts in a purposeful and powerful way. It says that He went up, that He moves toward that place of sorrow. And this is the thing that I want you to hear this morning, that in the midst of our sorrow, God cares about us and moves toward us. He moves toward the cry. He moves toward the hurt, the, the struggle, the sorrow. We have a God who cares about us, and He moves in our direction. But not only that, it says that He touched the beer. I always kind of laugh at having to share that as a, as a word. Put them on a beer? What kind? Right? Okay, so total aside, so I think this is funny. Anybody have funny moments? So yesterday I went to BJ's to get milk, and it was just afternoon, and the best time to go to BJ's is just afternoon because they have samples. I know samples are a nice little treat to help you get through the day, right? I'm like, dude, this is great. And so I go right by the milk, and there's a sample thing set up. And I'm like, oh, it's my lucky day. And I'm like, and the lady's like, hello, sir. Would you like some fireball whiskey? <laughs> and I was like going, no. Because I was not expecting that, and I went and I got my milk, and some other lady walked by, and sure enough, she did say, do you want some fireball whiskey? And so I went back, and I'm like, is this whiskey? And she's like going, yeah, fireball whiskey. She's like, I can't give you an ounce, though. And I'm like going, well, <laughs> I was laughing. I'm like, well, it's noon, and uh, it has been a long morning. No, I'm just kidding. So, But, but I... I just thought that was funny, but, but going back to this idea of, okay, here's this, this boy on a beer, right? And uh, he, he's sitting there, and Jesus walks up, 
and he touches it. He touches it. Now, you got to understand how, how radical this was in Jewish culture. So in Jewish culture, there, there's this sense that there are these different things that if you touched them, the power of the thing you touched was so powerful that that stuff transferred on you. So in a sense that it would rub off on you. So like if, if you touched a leper, it was if the power of the leprosy came upon you, and all of a sudden, for you to actually integrate back into community or integrate to be able to go into the, the temple, you actually had to go through a cleansing process because if you touched the leprosy, the power of the leprosy would rub off on you. It's like you can't get the stink off. Death was the same way. If you were a priest, and you touched a dead body, you would not be able to serve God until you had gone through a cleansing process. Because death is so powerful that when, when you touch it, it rubs off on you. And because of it, in Jewish culture, there's, there's often separation from death stuff. Yet here's Jesus who walks up and does the unthinkable, and he touches the place where the dead is. And the reason he can do it with confidence is because he knows that the power that's in him is greater than the power that he touches. That no matter how great the power of death is, his touch is greater. And that's the hope that you and I have that even as though those moments in our lives where we are encountering death and it feels like the power of death is rubbing off on us and we just can't seem to get it off of our being, understand the one who loves us, who cares about our circumstances, steps in in order to touch our lives with something greater than even that of death. He goes on to speak to the corpse, which is really interesting because this, this account actually is very similar to another account that happens in 1 Kings chapter 17 where Elijah the prophet is staying at a woman's house and she's a widow and her son dies. And what the prophet Elijah does is, is, is he's, like, he's like moved with compassion and he goes in and it says that he went in and he prayed to God to revive the child, and God did. But in this account, and, and, and so that's why the people like a great prophet is among us, a prophet like Elijah. But Luke knows something different. Because rather than praying to God for resurrection, he spoke it. And this is something you and I need to understand about the Word of God. The Word of God speaks life to you and to me. That in the midst of the times where we are wrestling with dead things, when we, are, when we are dealing with that category of death, that what we need is we need the Word of God spoken to us because what the Word of God does is it begins to infuse life into dead things. So not only did he go up, not only did he touch, not only did he speak, but the last thing I want to note is he returned the son to his mother. 
See, what death results in is separation. When Jesus undoes death, there's reunion. You see, Jesus not only revives and He restores, but He also reunites. This is the hope of the gospel. This is something that, that, that Christians down through the ages have held so deeply to is that as we put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we have the hope that even though our loved ones may go on before us because of the gospel at work in their life and the gospel at work in our lives, not only are we revived, not only are we restored, but we are reunited. You see, Jesus is our resurrected hope. Death is a very real enemy that we deal with. A very real enemy. It's a very real power that, that touches and grips our lives and, and, and affects our thinking, our acting, our reacting. Yet there is a hope that is greater. It would be Paul who would write the Corinthian church because they, they were a people because... Uh, death was beginning to happen in the church. There was all this expectation that Jesus would make alive, and all of a sudden there's people dying, and then what do you do? And so he's got this great chapter in, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that speaks to resurrection, but this is how he brings it to the end. He says, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, and sleep is just a euphemism for death, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then, uh, sorry, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And so Paul says, okay, death, where is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? He says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus he gives us victory. Again, the gospel is the announcement of victory that Christ has won for us. He has triumphed over death. And because of it, he gets to reshape our category. He gets to reshape our category. Now, I want, to, I want you to know, you know what my, my hope would be, my wish, is that every encounter with death that we have would be manifest just like this in the Bible, in this account. Wouldn't it be great that if every funeral was turned into a celebration because the dead came back to life? That would be pretty amazing. Yet here we are in a world where Jesus demonstrates his power and he gives us a glimpse of the hope that we have that in the end he is going to make everything right again. He will restore So how do we begin to allow him to undo death in our lives? I want to invite the worship team to come up just as we close. Number one, we need to allow his compassion to meet you. We need, we need to allow his compassion to meet us. 
Please understand he's still not indifferent to our sorrow and our situation. It may be that in your journey you are wrestling with issues of death. It may be in regards to some of your dreams. It could be regard to relationship. It may be in regards to loved ones. And there is a heaviness that, that kind of permeates your life because that's kind of what darkness does. Death does. I want you to know this morning that God is not indifferent to your sorrow. And what he does is he invites us to receive his grace. One of the things that I have found that as you, as you process through, as you, as, you, as you confront death, this enemy, it's incredibly draining. Like it drains, it drains our hearts, our, our minds, our energies. Sometimes it's even hard just to get out of bed. And you're like, how do I, how do I move forward? And, and, and sometimes we're in the place where it's like going, you know what? It's so overwhelming, yet God longs in these moments to meet us with His grace. You see, God wants to comfort us with His presence and surround us with His peace. And what we need is we need to allow our Savior to speak words of life over our struggles and over our fears, to bring healing and hope. We need to open our hearts, we need to open our ears and allow His grace to be poured out to us. We also have to learn to hope in His working. Now let me know the story's not done yet. Can I get a witness on this one? The story's not done yet, folks. The story's not done. And you might be facing walls and you might be facing things that you feel, you know what death is? My category of death is it's done. No more. Listen, I want you to know this is the God we serve. Death isn't done. He says, even out of the ugly, I will bring good. I will bring beauty out of ashes. I will bring joy out of mourning. Listen, I am not done with your story. And even when you can't feel and you can't see and you can't imagine beyond the darkness that you're in, I just want you to hear the words of a God who loves you, who came to give his all to you, to simply remind you that the story's not done. And we put our hope in a living Savior, a Savior who is greater than death, and we need to allow His grace to work in our lives. You see, hope is a confident expectation of our future because of God. And we need to allow Him to work in our hearts and in our lives and believe by faith that He is bringing life because His life is greater than death. The last thing I would note in undoing death, not only do we allow His compassion to meet us, to receive His grace, to hope in His working, but we also need to learn to share His grace with others. So one of the most beautiful, one of the beautiful imageries of the church in the Bible 
is that the church is the body of Christ. We're His hands. We're His feet. That means where there, there are places, because I want you to know, there are lots of parades going on where, where it is marked by sorrow and it is marked by, by darkness and loneliness and brokenness and emptiness and fearfulness. And God still longs to step into those places to bring life. And He uses us. We get to be His hands. We, we get to be His feet. We, we, get, we get to surround people with His love and with His kindness. We live in a world that's filled with death and brokenness. And we need to be carriers of God's grace so that others might experience the goodness and kindness of God in dark and difficult days. You see, the gospel of Jesus has the power to reshape our categories. And Jesus has come to undo death. And we put our hope in Him, our living hope. Death has intruded into our story, but we are grateful we have a Savior who has stepped into our moment to bring us life. He cares about us. And He's come to work to manifest His life in and through our lives. He invites us to believe Him. To believe that He has come to turn our mourning into rejoicing. To allow His grace to reshape our categories. And as we do, we begin to discover that this gospel is better than good. Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your grace and Your goodness. I thank you that, Lord, into this moment you meet us with your kindness and your peace. And God, where we struggle, you bring life. And God, I know that in this room, I know those watching, there are so many who are wrestling with, with, with situations that are touched by death. And God, I thank you that in this moment you come to meet us and to impart grace. And God, we need you. And just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many would just simply say, you know what, I, I'm wrestling with issues of death in my life. It can be involving individuals, some situations, some circumstances, and you're saying, you know what, I need the grace of God just to touch my heart today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? See all those hands. Lord Jesus, these are your children that you care about. And Father, into this moment, we release your grace. Lord, I thank you that it is your word that brings life. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, where death has been working, Lord, I pray grace would begin to turn it to joy. 
Lord, I pray that you would begin to revive hearts and minds and spirits. Lord, I pray that as we put our hope in the one who is our resurrection and our life, that God, you would begin to manifest your living power in our midst. God, we need you. Lord, I pray that you would direct us and use us to manifest your love, your kindness, and your care. I thank you that you are still greater than death. And we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.